0: If you're new today, I just first wanna say welcome to church. We're glad you came on this great Father's Day. Uh, we're so glad you'd be here. And every week we pray for two things, for people who come that are new and for everybody, but specifically for our new people, we pray one, that you'd feel welcome here. So we're probably gonna say hi to you, hopefully more than once. And I'm sorry if it's overwhelming, but we want you to feel welcome here. But also, we want you to meet with God, okay? So we don't do church you know, just to do church. We do church because we want to meet with God. We believe that he is alive and he's moving today, and we wanna hear from him, we wanna worship him, we want to encounter him. So I pray that both of those things would happen today. And I also wanna say happy Father's Day to the dads in the room. Whether you are a dad to your own children or you're a father to others, I want to honor you and thank you for saying yes to being a dad. As dads, we are expected to keep everything together. We're expected to be strong, even when we don't want to be. We're expected to be engaged even when we don't want to be sometimes. And I wanna just honor you for that. And I think that today is an opportunity we have every year just to you know step back and say thanks. So I just wanted to do that and just say we love you. And I also wanna say, if you don't have a father here today, we see you. I I had a dad, but uh, my dad didn't have a dad. And I, I kinda have, have felt that pain through him. and. I can't imagine quite what it's like not to have a father, especially on Father's Day. So I just wanna say we see you, we love you, and, and we're praying that uh, today could be a blessing to you in the sense that I'm just praying that, that God's fatherly love would be near to you today, that's what I'm praying for you. So I just wanted to say that we see you today. So growing up, like I said, I was blessed with a dad who was present, he was engaged in my life, and, and like I said, his dad walked out on him uh, when he was young, but he made a commitment uh, that he would be there for his kids. And I'm deeply, deeply grateful for that. He's typically here on Sundays, but he couldn't make it today. And some of my earliest and fondest memories of my childhood are playing in the pool with my dad. Okay, so my house, we always had a pool. It didn't matter if we had other stuff, but we had to have a pool. Okay, I don't know why, my dad loved pools, but we had a pool in the backyard. And I remember uh, specifically him throwing me up in the air when I was little and he would catch me. And, and I was like, this is the best thing ever. And then eventually it got even better where he would you know, launch me up on my own when I could swim on my own. And then I land in the water on my own and be able to swim back to him. And then when I got older, I think I was like 15 trying to do this, which was a bad idea, but I'd stand up on his shoulders and be like, all right, Dad, I'm gonna jump off you myself. And now he gets to watch me throw my kids into the pool in his backyard, and I I share that to say that it's been this progression of developing over time where at first he throws me, he catches me, then he throws me, and I land in the water on my own, and then I jump off of his shoulders, and now he watches me throw my own kids. Over the years, my dad has guided me and trained me to become confident and mature in my jumping in the pool abilities, and the scriptures teach us that God relates to us as a good father relates to his own children. And one of the father's primary jobs is to train his children. It's one of our our primary calls. Our father in heaven wants to train us to become fully formed disciples of Jesus. He doesn't want us to be perpetual spiritual babies, but he wants us to grow into spiritual maturity. He wants you to be doing cannonballs on your own, off the high dive, maybe a little flip in there too. He wants you uh, to be mature. He wants you to become like Jesus. And not only that, but he wants you to get to a point where you can help other people become like Jesus. That's the goal of the spiritual life, to, or to know God and help others know God. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, this should be a deep desire of your heart. It shouldn't just be God's desire for us, but it should be our desire. Because we've been born again and the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of our hearts, we should have a deep ache in our hearts that, that just yearns for spiritual maturity in likeness. We should want to become like the one who gave it all for us. One of the ways we become like Jesus is through the Holy Spirit changing our hearts. Oftentimes, I'm speaking for myself personally, oftentimes we try to force our spiritual growth, we try to force our change uh, through pure human effort, but but God doesn't want us just to put effort into our spiritual transformation. He wants to actually change us from the inside out. And that can only happen through the Holy Spirit. The way to growth, the way to change is through continually being led by the Spirit of God and surrendering to his leadership. And as we do, we will become more like Jesus and transform into the person he called us to be. So with that said, we are concluding our sermon series, Wind of God. It's been eight weeks, and it's felt like a long series, but the next series is gonna be about 50 weeks, maybe 60 weeks. Okay, we're gonna have to take some breaks. So if you think this is long, we'll see how the next one goes. I'm gonna have gray hair by the time we're done, but uh, it's gonna be a good time. But yeah, so Wind of God, we've been talking about uh, this idea of the Spirit of God is the wind, as the word for spirit is the same word for wind in the Hebrew and the Greek, and I believe that's on purpose. I, I believe that the Spirit of God is like the wind, and He's like the wind specifically in the way that that He wants to blow through our lives, our hearts, and our situations, and He wants to change them. He wants to be the wind to our sails and blow us forward into God's dream for our lives. He wants to give us power to become the person He's called us to be empowered to do the things that he's called us to do. It's like the wind blowing us forward. And this week it's our last sermon. It's called The Wind is Leading. The Wind is Leading. We're going to close out this series by talking about how if we want to be deeply changed by the Spirit of God, if we want to become like Jesus, we have to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit each and every day. And as we do that... As we walk with him, we will bear fruit, specifically what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. So with that said, turn with me to Galatians chapter five, where Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Paul's writing this letter to Galatia. It's a church in Galatia. He, he's writing this letter in response to a crisis in this young church. See, Paul had helped start this church just a few, year, or a few years before, after a powerful move of the Holy Spirit through Paul's preaching, But just a few years have passed, and in just a short amount of time, the church was starting to splinter and fall into two different forms of false teaching. Okay, so on one side, there was legalism. Okay, so so legalism says you don't just need Jesus Christ to be saved, you need to do some extra stuff on top of it to be saved. So specifically for them, they were saying you needed to be circumcised to be saved as well. They were saying you still need to follow the, the Jewish rituals. On the other end of false teaching, what we had was, was people were, were falling into licentiousness. Okay, what is licentiousness? That's kind of a fun word to say. It's this idea where you think that because Jesus has paid for your sins, you can do whatever you want. Okay, so we face both of these forms of false teaching today in the church. Some of us fall into legalism and are just worried about getting people to change their behavior without changing hearts. And some of us fall into licentiousness, and we just don't really care that much about obeying Jesus, but just live lives of sin because, hey, we've been forgiven. We have freedom in Christ. We can do what we want to do. And I define these terms this way. So so legalism is, I obey, therefore God loves me. His love is determined by my obedience. And then licentiousness is God loves me, therefore I don't need to obey. It's the same problem that the church in Galatia was facing. And and Paul warns against both of these extremes, and he stresses a third way. In Galatians 2, 15 through 16, he corrects legalism. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, and yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, or by works of the law, no one will be justified. Okay, we're only saved by faith in Jesus. Faith alone, when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's by faith in Jesus alone. You don't need to add anything to the gospel. At the same time, though, when we... Are forgiven and saved, we should change. We should become more like Jesus. If we have truly believed in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, it's gonna change some things about the way we live. In Galatians 5, 13 through 14, Paul says this: For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word: love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so Paul's correcting licentiousness here. He's saying we should not use our freedom from the penalty of sin as an opportunity to keep sinning, but we should use the freedom as fuel to love God in our neighbor with our whole hearts. The way of Jesus is not the way of licentiousness. It's not the way of legalism, but it's the way of a transformed heart that's inflamed by the love of God. It's the way of the Spirit. Okay, so again, let's define our terms. Okay, so we got legalism, I obey, therefore God loves me, licentiousness, God loves me, therefore I don't need to obey, but the way of the Spirit is God loves me, God has transformed my heart, therefore I obey out of love and gratitude. It's in this context that Paul writes this message about the fruit of the Spirit. So let's look at Galatians 5, 16 through 26, this is going to be our primary text. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit... And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, so when he says flesh, he's referring to the sinful nature. Okay, sinful nature. For the desires of the flesh or the sinful nature are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit and let us be, or not become conceited, provoking, or provoking one another and being one another. All right, let's pray over this. Jesus, we thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you for every person here today. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak through this message. God, I pray for people watching online that they would hear the word today and be changed. I pray for people in this room that each person would be changed by the gospel and by the word of God. We pray for a demonstration of the spirit in this place. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm excited. Let's go. First point, we must walk by the spirit. We must walk by the spirit. You're like, whoa, Captain Obvious. Yes, I know, it's very obvious, but it's worth saying, we must walk by the spirit. A few weeks ago, we talked about how we can only step into life with Jesus and be saved from our sins if we're born again. In other words, if we wanna follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit must give us a new heart. Okay, so John 3, three through five, it says, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. All that's to say, unless we are born of the Spirit, unless God breathes on our hearts and does something supernatural, we cannot be saved. And, and, and this is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. In Ezekiel chapter 36, the prophet prophesied, he said, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." I love that. Your heart is changed and it causes you to obey God's rules. It's a changed heart that causes you to obey. When we come to faith in Christ, the spirit takes our old heart out and he gives us a new one. And now we can obey God with joy and out of a transformed heart, not out of trying to earn something. However, receiving a new heart does not guarantee that we're actually going to live a new life. As Paul states here, we have to walk by the Spirit. We have to be intentional about actually walking in the Spirit. I love what he says in chapter 3. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to be perfected by the flesh? Even though our journey with Jesus has to start by the Spirit, we can try to pick it up with the flesh. This could look like trying to earn our salvation and spiritual growth uh, through just improving our behavior without changing our hearts, which again is legalism. Or it could look like giving in to the flesh and living a sinful life, which again is licentiousness. Jesus does not want us to try to earn or work for spiritual transformation, and he doesn't want us to give in to the flesh. He wants us to go a different way, the way Of the Holy Spirit. Again, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, so I remember reading this passage when I was younger and still recently, and being like, what does it actually mean to walk by the Spirit? What does that even mean? It sounds uber spiritual. Does that mean I just sing all day long? What does that mean? I'm glad you asked that question. Okay, so in a sentence, walking by the Spirit or being led by the Spirit is doing what the Spirit tells you to do out of love for him. It's obedience that's that's driven by love. Okay, so John Piper defines it this way. He says, walking by the Spirit means do what you do each day by the Spirit. Live your life in all its details from waking up in the morning until going to sleep at night by the enabling power of the Spirit. Okay, so walking by the Spirit means you allow your life to be directed and saturated by the presence of God. You walk with him, you obey him, you utterly surrender to him in his will and you allow him to lead each and every single tiny detail of your life, everything. It's not like, okay, here's a pie chart of my life, I'm giving God this part and then I get to do the rest, what I wanna do here. No, God leads everything. That's what it means to walk by the Holy Spirit. If you allow the Spirit to lead and saturate your, or saturate your life, you eventually won't want to gratify the desires of the flesh. The Spirit of God in you will become stronger than your old sinful nature, and you will genuinely desire God more than you desire sin. The Spirit is going to win the war if you lean into Him. This will not happen overnight, though. I remember back when I first got saved thinking, God, why do I still struggle with this stuff? Why do I want this sin so bad? But it, took, it takes time. It takes time of walking with the Spirit of Him changing your heart day by day. It's a progression. Paul is making clear that each of us have a responsibility for our spiritual growth. We can't just put our faith in Jesus, welcome the Spirit in our heart, and say, All right, God, you take the wheel. I'm just going to hang out, do whatever I want. Hopefully my heart changes. That's not how it works. Even though our hearts have been changed and we've been saved, we have to lean into the Spirit and let him lead us, let him unwire the old bad habits, the old bad ways of thinking and doing, and give us new ways. We have to let him direct our lives. Only then will our lives seriously begin to change. I've been a St. Louis Cardinals fan ever since I went to a game when I was probably five or six or seven, I'm not sure, but I was really young. And when they won the World Series a couple times about 10 to 15 years ago, man, I was a great fan. I was really into it for those couple years. However, if I'm honest, it's been a few years since they won the World Series and since that excitement has worn off, I tend to forget about them. Every Sunday, I go to Sam Cole and say, hey, did they win? Or did they even play last night? I don't know, did they win if they did? And he's always like, no, they didn't. No, I'm kidding. No, they win quite a bit. They're like, what, 500 or close to that? They're trying. Okay, so the point is, I'm not a very good fan these days. I don't ever watch the games. I don't know who the players are. The only player I know is Yadier Molina. He's still on the team, right? Because he was there in 2006, okay? That's why I know him. And I hardly, uh, I hardly wear the team's gear, okay? So there's a difference between, between uh, saying a team is your favorite team and being an actual, true, committed fan. There's a difference, right? In the same way, even though Paul was writing it to, uh, to people who were Christians by name and were excited about Jesus when they got saved, they weren't really living out the lifestyle of Jesus at this point. Their sins had been paid for and they were freed from the penalty of sins, but they hadn't gotten power over their sins. They weren't repping the team's gear, right? They weren't going to the games. They weren't paying attention to the Holy Spirit. They needed to start walking by the Spirit, just like I need to start actually watching a Cardinals game, at least one per year. That's my goal, okay? Okay, so how do we start being led by the Spirit? How do we do this? Okay, so the first thing that I thought of this week as I was praying about this, is the first thing is is we have to pay attention. Okay, the first step to being led by the Spirit is actually paying attention to His presence throughout the day. We are constantly paying attention to things like, the things of the world, like our phones, our social media accounts, our our Netflix, sports, jobs, families, the news, hobbies, politics. But we struggle to pay attention to the most important thing, which, which is Jesus and His Holy Spirit. A recent study found that the average iPhone user touches his phone 2,617 times each day. We are on our phones for an average of two and a half hours a day. And if you're younger, you're worse off as millennials are on their phone for at least five hours a day. That's not even including non-phone screen time. That's spent binging Netflix or watching TV. A CDC study found that children spend anywhere from six to nine hours in front of a screen each day. No wonder why we struggle to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Our attention is elsewhere. I've heard it said that attention leads to adoration. What you look at is what you're gonna love. What you behold is what you're going to become. Okay, whatever we give our attention to will get our hearts. Whatever we stare at, we're going to become. We so often give our attention to the wrong things. Walking with the Spirit starts with paying attention to the Spirit. The second thing is we need to abide. What does abide mean? Abide means to remain. It's this idea of kind of remaining under Jesus' wing. His wing's right here, and you're like, hello, Jesus, just hanging out right there. You abide, you remain with Jesus, you spend time with him each and every day, you commune with him throughout the day. John 15, five, Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches, and whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If we want to become the people that God has called us to be, we must abide in Jesus. We must abide in the vine, We must be like a branch that's connected to the vine and bears beautiful fruit. We must remain connected to Jesus each day through setting aside time each and every day to read the Bible and pray and spend time with him and also through keeping him on our minds throughout the day and spending time with him as we go throughout our day. The third thing is we must trust. Okay, so pay attention, abide, trust. Okay, we can't just pay attention. We can't just be intentional about abiding, but we have to trust Jesus. Every morning I read the scripture, I start my day with the scripture, and I feel like every time, I try to do like a summary sentence at the end of my journal, and every time it's like, trust Jesus. It's like the whole call of the Bible is to trust God, to trust that he's good, that he loves you, that he's given his life for you. Trust that his ways are better than your ways. We have to trust Jesus. And we must trust the things that the word says about us. We must trust that, that God has given us his Holy Spirit, that he has changed our hearts, and that he wants to bring us into holiness. The Christian life is all about faith. That God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. If we want to walk with the spirit, we got to trust Jesus, especially when things are hard, especially when you can't tell what's going to happen, especially when you're concerned about the future. You got to trust in King Jesus. He has your life in his hand and he will take care of it. The fourth thing, and this is the last thing I could go on, but, but we'll do four, is obey. If we want to walk in step with the spirit, we have to do what he tells us to do. I've heard it said that walking with the Spirit is just doing the next thing He tells you to do. We must obey the general commands of Scripture where God tells us what to do and what not to do. And we must follow the Spirit's leading for our specific situations. So we can get the Spirit's leading through prayer and through wise counsel. When He speaks to us, though, so we have to do what He tells us to do. If we want to walk and step with the Holy Spirit, we've got to pay attention. We've got to abide, we gotta trust, and we gotta obey. And I'm telling you, if you do that, watch the Spirit of God change your heart. Watch your life begin to transform. Alright, but as we do these things, I'm telling you, the flesh and the enemy is not gonna go down easy. It says in Peter, it says that uh, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He is not going to go down easy. So let's read this again about walking with the Spirit and the flesh in verse 16. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desire or the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law, and now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy, and drunkenness, and orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the or the kingdom of God. The second point this morning is this, if you're taking notes. We must resist the flesh. We must resist the flesh. Paul calls us to walk by the Spirit. As we do, we will naturally not gratify the sinful nature. The flesh and the Spirit are opposites. They're opposed to each other. When one's power grows, the, other power, or the other's power weakens. If the Spirit's power in us grows, the flesh power, the flesh's power is going to weaken and vice versa. If we wanna walk by the Spirit, we have to resist the flesh. We have to intentionally say no to the pull of the world that tells us to order our lives around a bunch of fleshly desires that don't actually matter, that, that can hurt the heart of God or, or distract us from intimacy with him. If we want to serve God, we have to say yes to the things of God and no to the things of the world. We have to feed the spirit of God in us through walking, or through walking with the spirit. And as we do, the sinful nature will be starved out and we will become more like Jesus. As the spirit of God in us grows, the old sinful nature will weaken. It's important to know that at salvation, we are justified or made right with God. Our, our relationship is restored by our faith in Jesus. That's it, faith in Jesus alone. Justification happens by faith in Jesus alone through the grace of Jesus alone. All it takes to be saved is to trust in Jesus. There's nothing you can do to make that happen other than trusting in him. However, after salvation, we must seek to grow in a fancy word called sanctification. Okay, so sanctification is the process of becoming holy. It's the process of becoming like Jesus. And this occurs over time. It takes a lifetime to be sanctified as you walk with the Holy Spirit. Our justification is a free gift, and we can't, or can't do anything to make it happen, but Our sanctification is something we must be intentional about. And we must lean into the changed heart that the Spirit has has given us and actively walk with the Spirit so we can become more holy. Okay, so more specifically, again, if we want to grow in sanctification, we have to pay attention, abide, trust, and obey Jesus each and every day. We must actively walk with the Spirit of God. It's possible to be justified but not grow in your sanctification It's possible. This happens when we accept the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf, but we refuse to walk by the Spirit. This happens when we accept the gift, but don't respond to the gift. It's like you got a gift, but you didn't write a thank you note, right? And the way we do that is give our lives to Jesus in total surrender and say, lead me, guide me. I'm gonna walk by the Spirit. If we choose this route of being justified, but not sanctified, we will be spiritually miserable. As the deep desire of our hearts will be to love Jesus but we won't be living this out. It's going to there's going to be a deep spiritual or dissonance in our souls as we desire deeply to do one thing but we keep doing the other. The only way to be sanctified is if we walk with the spirit and resist the flesh. As I said earlier, I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan. Well, I'm trying. However, I haven't always only been a St. Louis Cardinals fan. This is probably part of the problem, okay? There was a time when I liked the Chicago Cubs and the St. Louis Cardinals. How is that possible? Great question. I couldn't choose between the two. I'd been to both of their games, and I wanted to like both the teams. Over time, it was probably around the time that the Cardinals were going to the World Series, and I realized the Cubs will never win, which they finally did, like 12 years later. But over time, I realized that it's not possible to love both teams. I would need to choose. Part of being a Cubs fan is you hate the Cardinals. Part of being a Cardinals fan is you hate the Cubs. You can't truly love one team and love the other at the same time. Eventually, once the Cardinals won the World Series, I chose the Cardinals and decided they're my only team. It's the same way with the spirit and the flesh. We can't serve both the Holy Spirit and our sinful nature. We must choose. To love one is to hate the other. With that said, how do we starve out the flesh and resist its pull? It starts with being mindful about the way we live. We must evaluate our lives and see if we are ordering our lives around Jesus or around our sinful nature. With every activity, this is on the screen, with every activity we have to ask two questions. The first one is this, is it sinful? If it's sinful, just don't do it, okay? Try not to do it, I know sometimes we fall into it. But that's obvious, you shouldn't do a sin, right? You shouldn't sin, I think we know that in church. The second question, and this is where it gets really tricky and you have to pray and be led by the Spirit. If it's not sinful, is it helpful? If it's not helpful to your spiritual growth and maturity, ask the question, God, do you want me to allow this into my life? It's important that you define helpful correctly though. Okay, so helpful things are not only the obviously spiritual things, like reading your Bible and praying and going to church. I'm not telling you all you can do is read your Bible all day long, that's it. They could include activities that, Help you rest or or help you enjoy God's creation or enjoy the life He's given you. These helpful things could be activities that help you connect with your family. They could be activities or or just good gifts that God wants to give you. He says, Hey, I'm gonna give this to you. So maybe for you, disc golf helps you connect with God. Maybe it helps you connect with his creation. I know we got some disc golf guys in here and, and some gals. Or maybe disc golf helps you grow in your relationship with your, your brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't know. You gotta pray about that one. But If these activities and habits that make up your life are coming before God or distracting you from God, then maybe something needs to change. For example, if you play disc golf but you don't read your Bible, something's gotta go. And everyone's like, heck no. Yeah, something's gotta go. And it ain't the Bible, okay? Disc golf. (laughs) (laughs) The key is that the activities of your life are all set up in such a way that they don't pull you away from Jesus, but they push you closer. Okay, so me and Emily, we had a TV in our living room ever since we were married. And this last winter, we realized we had the TV on all the time, all the time. Our daughter was watching TV. From the time she woke up, it felt like until the time she went to bed. And for us, we felt like we needed to move the TV out of the living room. We still have one in the family room, and we sneak down there probably too much. Okay, but the point is, we felt like the Spirit was leading us in that. I'm not telling you to take the TV out of your living room. What I'm telling you to do is ask Jesus, what are the things that I can have in my life that aren't going to distract me from you or hurt my spiritual uh, relationship with you? And what are the things... um, the things that are distracting me and I can't have in my life. Now that's a question that only you can answer, only wise counsel can help you, only prayer can help you with that. So take time this morning to evaluate your life and see if you are ordering your life around the spirit or the flesh. Are you ordering your life around things that help you connect with God or things that distract you from God? Are you feeding the spirit of God inside of you or are you feeding your fleshly desires? A great way to evaluate this is to look at your calendar and your bank account. How are you spending your time and how are you spending your money? That'll show you where your heart's at. Okay, the call of Galatians is clear. We must be so changed by the love of Jesus that we walk in step with the Holy Spirit and resist the sinful nature. The last part of this passage tells us, and this is the really fun part. I know this is convicting. This is convicting me. Some of you are like, can you just shut up already? I know this is convicting, but this last part shows us what happens when we follow in step with the Holy Spirit. Something beautiful happens. Let's read it. Verse 22 through 26. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another envying one another. Okay, so third and final point this morning is this. When we walk by the Spirit, His life, the life of God, the life of the Spirit flows out from us. As we walk in step with the Holy Spirit, as we allow his presence to saturate our lives through paying attention, abiding, trusting, and obeying, his life begins to ooze out from us. Our lives start to look like Jesus's life. Just as Jesus was the embodiment of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, we start to be the embodiment of these things. Our hearts are so changed by the influence of the Holy Spirit that the life of the Spirit begins to flow out from us. We've not only seen sin's penalty defeated on the cross, but we've seen sin's power dealt with. We no longer desire the sinful nature or the things of the sinful nature, but we desire God. Oh, man, this is so good. This is a good call. I'm not here, guys, I'm not joyful enough. I'm not peaceful enough, I'm not patient enough, I'm not here, but this is a journey that I'm willing to give my life for. To be someone that looks like Jesus. It's not something we can force, but we can't make ourselves more loving or joyful or peaceful or or so forth, but we can. We can do everything we can. We can put all our effort into getting ourselves into the right environment for the Spirit to do his work. When Emily and I moved into our first house in Waterloo about, I think it was five years ago or so, one of our friends gave us this awesome fire pit it was sick, it was from Target, right? So Target stuff is just nice, okay? So this pit, it sat directly on the ground. It didn't have a stand. I'm like, that's cool, I love that look, that's awesome. Being first-time 24-year-old homeowners, we took the pit and we sat it right in the middle of the yard, right on the grass. Nothing to block the grass, just right on the grass. And I lit that fire pit up and I'm like, look at that fire I built, baby, that is good. We were so shocked afterwards when we moved the fire pit and all there was left was dirt underneath. Where'd the grass go? Yes, I know, I'm an idiot. Okay, so <laughs> for a couple of years, we just left the fire pit on the dirt, because I'm like, I don't want to plant any grass. I don't know how to plant grass. Again, I'm an idiot. So, <laughs> but then the thing became rusty over a couple of summers of just leaving it sit there and it looked nasty and we finally had to move it. And once we, or once we moved it, I knew we needed to plant some fresh grass. So I did my Google search and I got bored about, about two lines down. So I just bought a thing and I threw the seed on there and I watered it once. And like a couple blades grew up a few weeks later and that was it because it was in the middle of the summer during a drought season like we just had. It looks like it doesn't look good, okay? So I struggled with watering the grass. I think I might've did it like twice, okay? There was a couple times I went out there, okay, I got this, but I got bored bored of it, sick of it. And needless to say, the grass only grew a little bit and it didn't grow like it should have. I did not create the right environment for the grass to grow. In the same way, if we wanna become like Jesus, I think you know where I'm going with this. If we wanna live a life that is full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we have to create the bright environment for the Spirit's power to grow in our hearts and lives. We need to walk with the Spirit. We need to allow him to lead us in every single area. As Jesus said, John 15, five, I am the vine and you are the branches. And whoever abides in me and I, am, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. We must let the presence of God saturate our lives and lead us we're going to become like him. All right, the main idea this morning is this, if you're taking notes. The wind of God wants to lead us into a spiritually fruitful life. The wind of God wants to lead us into a spiritually fruitful life. As we've journeyed over the last eight weeks throughout this series, we've talked a lot about how the Spirit wants to empower us to be witnesses for Jesus and have the supernatural power to be able to lead people to Jesus, to have boldness, in our faith, to have this vitality in our spiritual life. He wants to empower us to step into our destinies and our callings. He wants to empower us to do great things for God. I think of the story we talked about back in week two when Samson, he like ripped apart a lion because the Spirit of God empowered him to do it. Now, I haven't had a lion ripping contest yet, but maybe at some point, But, but the point is the Spirit wants to empower us into these dimensions of power and spirituality that seem impossible. However, we're going to end this way. The Spirit of God is much more concerned with who you're becoming than with what you do. You can rip apart 20 lions and be bankrupt spiritually. Actually, that was the story of Samson. He was bankrupt spiritually, had a corrupt life, and he ended up, his life ended in shame, even though God used him greatly, because he didn't become the person he was supposed to become, he just did things for God. for us in this room, I just believe that this is a beautiful way to end our series, or or, or to look at the most powerful thing that God does, which is change a human heart. That's the most powerful thing that God does. The most powerful thing that God does is take a man who's full of anger and change him into a man of patience and love and joy. This is what God is primarily after. He wants to see us do great things for him, but primarily he's after our hearts being changed. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not or have not love, I gain nothing. The Spirit of God is most interested in you becoming like Jesus. He's most interested in you being full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He wants you to be loving, joyful, and peaceful. He wants you to be patient, kind, and good. He wants you to be faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. And the road to this kind of life is the road of the Spirit. It's not the road of legalism. It's not the road of trying to earn something through pure human effort. And it's not the road of licentiousness where you say, Hey, I'm just going to chill out and do whatever I want. And hopefully God does his work in me. It's the road of knowing in your heart that you are deeply loved by God. It's the road of saturating your life in his presence each and every day, allowing him to transform you and obeying him out of that love. As we close out this series, we end with this call. The wind wants to blow us, not just into a life of great spiritual power and seeing supernatural things happen, but he also wants to blow us into the life of becoming the person that he called us to be. Let's be a church that looks like Jesus. Let's be a loving, joyful, peaceful church. Let's pray that we can walk by the Spirit. So if you stand with me, I want to pray quick, and, and then we're going to be done. We're going to worship, and then we'll be done. Every week we've done this. I believe every week we've done this, where we just kind of put our hands out in front of us. If you're comfortable. If you're not, you don't have to do it, but do to put your hands out in front of you. I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit would empower us, the Holy Spirit would be changed, and specifically today that the Holy Spirit would help us to be full of His fruit. So, Holy Spirit, today we come to you. We come boldly before your throne, and we recognize that each of us are flawed and simple. We mess up each and every day, and we start by asking for forgiveness for that. But Jesus, we don't just ask for forgiveness. We ask for power to overcome these things, to become the, the loving, joyful, peaceful people that you've called us to be. So, Holy Spirit, To walk with you each and every day, Jesus, we love you so much. We pray all this in your name.